from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Measured Thoughts on Business Radio. Powered by the Wharton School. Here's your host, David Reepstein. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Measure Thoughts with Dave Reepstein on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Dave Reepstein, and I'm joining you here on Sirius XM Channel 111, which I do every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern, and we are replayed throughout the week. Today is a special Monday because it's the Monday after we just got done stuffing ourselves with stuffing and other Thanksgiving-related food. Uh, It is one of my favorite holidays, in part because you sit down with friends and family and uh, and get to enjoy an elongated meal. Uh, And I always enjoy that particular food. Lots of people enjoy it because it starts your engines time for Black Friday. And so um, it's interesting to have a program that's on measuring marketing and measured thoughts that we have around marketing. Uh, when you follow what is really a marketing holiday, uh, not a holiday, a Hallmark a card holiday, but a holiday nonetheless in terms of nobody's working and everybody's got one purpose, to go out shopping. Now, I confessed last week, and I have my record still clean, I have never gone shopping on Black Friday, never gone shopping. That being said, I sort of feel like I'm alone because This Friday, this last Black Friday, was the biggest retail Black Friday in history. So it uh, it was overwhelming. And one of the questions that I'm going to be asking you and see if you can come up with that answer in the second part of the program is, can anyone out there name what that particular number was? Interestingly, the number of shoppers on Black Friday was down by 1%. And so for those two statements to be true, that is, it's the biggest Black Friday ever and the number of shoppers to be down means that their market basket was up. So people were buying more, but they were down just a little bit less, 1% fewer shoppers than, uh, than last year, for example. It also was a noteworthy uh, Black Friday because this is the first time that online shopping is going to pass in-store shopping. And so that's very, very interesting for us to be able to see. And, uh, and so when we look at is, is shopping down, the answer is no, but more and more of it's happening online. And so there was this period when we thought, well, you know, online will always be there, but it, it will not surpass all the uh, bricks and mortar. Well, it surpassed it. And it surpassed it a lot earlier than others did. And on top of all that, what's today? Today is Cyber Monday. So when the dust finally settles, we're going to see how much it is that that ends up uh, passing. And with that, by the way, it is totally appropriate who our guest is for today. That that, uh, is appropriate because you can't think about buying online without thinking about buying on Amazon. So today's guest is James Thompson, who is the author of The Amazon Marketplace Dilemma. So we're going to have to find out what it is. That's the dilemma and and why it is that there's any mystery to that. So we have two segments to the program, as we normally do. Our first guest, as I said, James Thompson, author of the recent book, The Amazon Marketplace Dilemma. And he is the former business head of selling on Amazon. 
After we do uh, and have him on the program, and you are certainly free to call during his program with any of your questions about uh, selling on Amazon. But after we're, we're finished with uh, James, then what we're going to do is open it up for any questions that you happen to have and things that you'd like to hear about with respect to marketing in general, branding, and anything about measuring our marketing. So let me remind you, you're listening to Measured Thoughts with Dave Reepson on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. You can give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's one 844 You can email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at biz, that's B-I-Z, Radio 111. But let's get started with James Thompson, author of The Amazon Marketplace Dilemma. James, welcome. Glad to have you with us. Dave, thanks for having me on today. As I understand, you're a former head of AmazonServices.com, which is really the portal for recruiting third-party sellers. And you also have a Ph.D. in marketing strategy from the Kellogg School, uh, which I think is just fantastic. And so delighted to have you on here. And I need to understand how your background got you to Amazon in the first place, and then we'll pursue what happened after Amazon. Goodness me. Well, um, I thought I was going to be an academic and I was going to work on academic issues, and I very quickly realized that I actually enjoyed working on uh, consulting-type projects when I was a Ph.D. student. And the long and the short is I ended up not going into academia and instead uh, going into management consulting, helping helping large brands to figure out pricing and distribution issues. And after a number of different roles, I actually ended up at Amazon working on distribution and <laughs> working on pricing and branding. And what's strange is that after leaving Amazon about four years ago, I'm back working with brands, helping them with pricing and distribution issues. It's just that now we have this big elephant in the middle of the room called Amazon that impacts the ability of a brand to control how it's represented online. So it's, it's a very exciting time to be doing the kind of work that I do. Um, I'm really glad that I had the opportunity to work at Amazon to understand just what it means to be data-driven, what it means to have incredible amounts of logic be applied to every problem you work on. But it's very different now being outside of Amazon, as I say, working with brands. Yeah, so uh, what was your, your your impetus for leaving Amazon in the first place? Because I would think that'd be a juicy job, and, and you were in such a great position there. Amazon is, is an amazing place to work, um, but it's very challenging getting the work-life balance to work. And while Mr. Bezos himself has said, there's no such thing as work-life balance. It's work-life harmony. In my situation, the harmony wasn't there, and so I chose to leave so that I could spend more time with my family. And it's been it's been very fruitful since since I've left. Um, I'm still working with companies that are focused on Amazon. It's just that now I'm outside of Amazon, and I believe in a better position to help companies um, than what I was able to do when I was inside the organization. So how is it you help companies in particular with working with Amazon, uh, which is what I understand you do, and I understand you even had a conference that, uh, that you held for, uh, for companies that are selling through Amazon. So uh, Amazon, as an organization, is very good at putting systems in place to make it easy for people to sell products. 
One area where Amazon isn't particularly good is at the education, on the education side, helping companies to understand what they're getting themselves into, help them understand what the potholes are and where they need to avoid uh, taking certain actions. When I left Amazon, I was able to focus on having open discussions about a number of those issues so that people don't uh, step into the Amazon marketplace with unrealistic expectations. So whether that's through consulting work I do with my organization, whether that's our conference called Prosper Show, uh, in both situations, we're now able to help companies make better decisions, hopefully before they spend the money or before they make a decision that's difficult to turn back. So um, the, the, as I say, these are, these are exciting times because Amazon changes so much on a weekly basis and the need for keeping current with what's going on that's very difficult for anyone to do. And so we, we pride ourselves on working hard to, to stay up to speed on what's going on and make sure that we help people understand the implications of these changes. What does this mean for your business? What does this mean for your business outside of Amazon? How do you as a brand make better decisions so that you can address what's happening to your brand on Amazon? These are big, juicy brand problems that unfortunately lots of brands don't fully understand how, how to think through. So, you know, I'm puzzled a little bit by the title of your book, The Amazon Marketplace mm-hmm. Dilemma. What, what's mm-hmm. the dilemma? Well, the dilemma is, is it's a two-part dilemma. The, the first question for brands is, do I or, or don't I want to sell my product on Amazon? Pa- pause right because there. Amazon... I, I, I want to pause with that question just sure. for one sure. second. And I want to know, why wouldn't any company want to sell through Amazon? Amazon is an open marketplace, which means anybody can show up with product to sell. There may be authorized sellers, unauthorized sellers, companies that are big and sophisticated, as well as very small and unsophisticated. They're all given equal footing to sell product on Amazon. And what this means is that as a brand, you may have a number of companies out there representing your brand on Amazon, companies that you don't want to have on on the site or who are choosing to you know, take photos with their their iPhone and post those photos on the website and use that as a representation of your brand. It's very difficult to have high-quality branding that's consistent with what you do on every other online or offline site just because Amazon is this open marketplace. So So, isn't that true anytime you're selling through a reseller, through a distributor, that you sort of lose mm -hmm. some of your control? You certainly do. But if you've got a distributor, you can have agreements with your distributor. You can make certain content available to them to help them get that to retailers who would ultimately sell the product to consumers. When you sell online, um, it's very easy for companies that you don't even know who they are to show up with your product. People that have bought closeouts, people that um, have bought diverted product, people who have reimported product from other countries, all of those types of sellers are welcome to sell on Amazon. And because many of them are operating under doing business as names, you don't know who they are. You can't communicate with them to say, hey, you're not really using the kind of content we want to represent our brand. Could you please use this high-quality content we've created? Those conversations don't happen. And so as a brand manager trying to control and create consistent messaging across channels, it's very, very difficult because of the open nature of this Amazon channel. So... Uh, That first question around, do I or don't I want to sell on Amazon? Yes, there's hundreds of millions of customers on this site. You know, you'd love to have more people buying your product. But you also want to make sure that what happens on Amazon 
is harmonious with what you're doing in every other channel. If you've got a extensive brick and mortar presence and you've invested heavily in that and making sure that your retail partners are happy and all of a sudden this Amazon channel comes along and not only do you have a bunch of companies representing the product in ways that may not be consistent with what, what your efforts are elsewhere, but quite often the Amazon channel is less uh, less expensive for consumers because you've got all these companies selling your product that may not be respecting a map policy or some kind of MSRP policy. And as a result, your brick and mortar partners often will complain and say, hey, how come everything's cheaper on Amazon? Why can't I sell at those prices when I'm being required to follow your pricing policies that you put in place? So you've got me, you've so, got me thinking about a whole bunch of different questions here. Sure, do, sure. do you know what percent of total retail now happens on Amazon, roughly? Well, I've seen numbers ranging from 12 to 15 percent here in the United States. Um, when we talk about the the Christmas sales, um, I, I do know the number that you were asking for, uh, asking your listeners for earlier today. Um, okay, I'll, I'll, the numbers, hold that for now. Of course, of course. The, the numbers are very large, and what's troubling for brands that are not paying attention to the Amazon channel is that for all consumers who do purchase product online, Amazon's now responsible for more than 50% of all purchases, well more than 50% of all product searches here in the United States. And so even if the channel is less than 20% of all consumer purchases, in terms of its ability to influence consumers and and, uh, influence the consideration set of brands they look at, Amazon is where it's at. And so what we see with a lot of brands is, they may look at Amazon and say, gosh, it's only responsible for 5% of our total sales, but the reality is it's, it's responsible for 80% of our headaches because we've got pricing discrepancies. We've got branding discrepancies. We've got a lack of control of distribution in this channel. And so for all the efforts that a brand puts into making sure that the brand promise is consistently put in place, Amazon is this big hole in the bucket it's hard to control. And for many brands, they don't really know where to start. And certainly in, in my time, both at Amazon and now outside of Amazon, I, I've seen a lot of brands take the attitude of, well, it's not big. I hope it doesn't become too big a problem. I think it'll just take care of itself. The reality is it's not taking care of itself if you're a brand that doesn't have a proactive Amazon channel strategy. And so it's time for brands to think about where does Amazon fit into their overall distribution and branding efforts. I, I love that overall question. I think it's really great. Let me remind our audience that uh, you're listening to Measured Thoughts with Dave Reepstein on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We're currently speaking with James Thompson, who is the author of The Amazon Marketplace Dilemma. And if you want to give us a call, you can at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. And James, you know, I, what you're referring to is often uh, described as channel conflict. That yes. is, I sell through one channel, in this case Amazon, and it conflicts with my selling through uh, through other uh, distributors and retailers. So, are some brands losing their support, even willingness to be carried by other retailers because you're selling through uh, through Amazon? The, the bigger issue I see is not so much whether brick-and-mortar retailers are upset that the product's being sold on Amazon, but rather it's being sold at lower prices on Amazon. And so, you know, if I'm selling an item for $50 and I'm required by the brand to sell it for $50, 
but any customer can walk into my store and at the same time surf online and see that it's available for $40 on Amazon, why is that customer going to buy from me? That's the problem we're running into. And we, we've certainly had companies we've worked with who have reported that distributors have basically dropped their brands saying, I can't go and try to get retailers to add your brand to their shelves when, quite frankly, the price is available on Amazon. Sometimes at the retail price on Amazon is comparable to a wholesale price the distributor is trying to sell. So um, it, it's it's pretty amazing the price discrepancies that sometimes exist, but even more so, you've got folks selling online who don't understand unit economics. And so they may be selling products actually underwater without realizing it. Right. But that's all good for Amazon. It's all good for Amazon customers. It's definitely not good for brands that are trying to control how their brand is perceived across channels. The previous elephant in the room was Walmart, and there and Walmart represented such a large percent of total uh, purchases that there uh. there were some brands that said, "I don't want to sell through Walmart for mm-hmm. exactly the reasons that you're describing," and yeah. and Amazon's now bigger than Walmart. I, I think if, if we think about the world of of, of having an internet. What does it mean to have internet and what do brands need to do when there's internet? Think about what used to happen with Google. People would go on Google and they'd search for products and they'd say, oh gosh, you know, I found this particular product on Google. Um, I'm going to then figure out where it's available online and buy it. Today, things have shifted to the point where in the United States, more than 50% of all product searches start on Amazon. The second largest classification of, of, of product searches start on search engines, where typically the first SEO listing is actually an Amazon product listing, because they have so much traffic, Google indexes them often the number one uh, SEO uh, option. So if you've got 28% of searches starting on Google or other search engines and 55% starting on Amazon, you have over 80% of all product searches online ultimately resulting in an opportunity for a customer to see what's happening on Amazon. And so for brands to say we're not interested in, in doing anything with Amazon, that's a hard, hard pill to swallow. And let me make it even more complicated. Because you have an open marketplace on Amazon, it's as simple as you know a kid gets a gift from his grandmother and says, ah, I don't want this birthday gift. I'm going to go and sell it on Amazon, and I'm going to get some money for it. And now that kid can go and take his iPhone, take a picture of that product, put it up on Amazon, and sell that product. Well, I, I can assure you most brands have no interest in having their products be represented by, by some kid who's got an iPhone. And yet that's how simple it is for a brand to ultimately be sold on Amazon. And so if a brand isn't thinking through what is my Amazon strategy, what do I do to make sure I control the experience for consumers, that, 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 that has to be addressed. And that's a very different set of issues than the second part of the dilemma, which is, uh, let's assume my product will be sold on Amazon. Now the question is, what do I do to control distribution so that I can control pricing? If I don't control distribution, then anybody will show up with product, and they'll all beat each other up on price, and I'll have this problem where the Amazon channel is cheaper than all my brick-and-mortar channels. So how does one control that uh, that pricing and and control the distribution? So unfortunately, um, most brands continue to focus on short-term sales goals. And so when someone comes along and says, uh, I have a purchase order, will you fill the purchase order? Um, quite often, brands will say, yes, sure, we'd love to have your money. 
and they sell them the products. And there aren't necessarily tight restrictions or policing of restrictions around where that product's ultimately going to get sold. So if I come along and I say, Dave, I love your brand. I want to buy your product. Here's $100,000. Can I have some pallets of product? Um, unless the brand is saying, wait a minute, are you going to sell this online on your own website? Are you going to sell it on a marketplace? Are you going to divert product to somebody else who will sell it on a marketplace? Those are important questions that need to be asked and, and need to be policed. And most brands don't do any of that kind of work. The, the other problem that happens is that within brands, you'll have an online sales team and an offline sales team. And often those teams don't talk to each other. And in fact, they compete against each other. And the offline sales team may not be paying much attention to how much of its product is actually being diverted to an online uh, marketplace. Quite common for brick and mortar product to be rerouted uh, by the brick and mortar retailers themselves to be sold online. And now all of a sudden that 5% of your Amazon sales, or excuse me, the 5% of your sales you thought was going to Amazon, it's actually 10% because a bunch of products being diverted from brick and mortar onto the online channel. Well, so, how, does, how does one even begin to control that? Uh, so, I mean, here I am mm-hmm. just a, a, a little independent merchant uh, yeah. and uh, I want to control, you know, what happens to my product that I'm trying to sell through Amazon. I, I can't dictate things to Amazon, can I? If you're a small independent merchant, the reality is uh, for most of the brands that you carry, Amazon's going to be a very ugly place to sell because the reality is that brand is being sold to lots of other little merchants, each of whom is going to make the decision as to whether they want to sell some of that product online. And if that brand decides to smarten up and say, wait a minute, we're going to enforce who can and can't sell online, who can and can't sell on marketplaces, we're going to enforce that distribution very tightly through online reseller policies, through map policies that we very carefully police. And uh, unless those things are done, um, quite frankly, every merchant will make that decision, you know, part of my inventory is going to go on to Amazon, and I hope I make some money. But then again, there's 20 other companies doing the same thing, and we're all beating each other up to get the same sale. So we've got what, what, what typically happens in an open marketplace Everybody tries to cut their price just a little bit more than the last guy to try to get the sale. Right. Before you know it, Amazon is that much cheaper than every other brick-and-mortar channel. I go back to something I said earlier. Um, so many sellers on Amazon operate with a doing business as or a DBA where their identity is concealed when they sell online. And so for the brand that may have an agreement with, with brick-and-mortar retailers saying, you have to sell this product at $50, well, that's nice, but if I operate under a secondary name for my online channel and you don't know who I am, I can get away selling at $45, make a quick buck. I may not make as much margin, but I can sell decent volume because there's lots of customers on Amazon. That's a fairly common situation. So it's easy to understand how brands have overlooked this problem, but the reality is uh, not only do you have an open marketplace with all these sellers going after each other, But Amazon itself, while they purchase products directly from brands, Amazon also purchases products from distributors, authorized or not. Amazon also purchases products from overseas and will re-import them. If Amazon decides that your brand is important enough, they will figure out a way to get access to product to try to make that product available to Amazon customers. And so it's important for brands to tightly control where their product goes so they can have much more control over 
how it gets represented, how it gets priced to consumers on the Amazon channel. James, you uh, you wrote a, a a book. Do you sell mm-hmm. that book on uh, on your own site? We actually sell it on Amazon. Well, I I, I know you that, sell it at Amazon. Where else do you sell it? That's the only place we sell it. And uh, we we printed. And you decided it, that uh, that that was the best place for you to sell it. It is far and away the best place to sell it. Um, our, our lawyers informed us that the content was certainly appropriate to put up on Amazon. Um, we're, we're trying to report the facts. I'm not taking sides. I'm trying to report the facts and make sure the brands understand the trade-offs they're making. And to, to make more brands aware of this, we wanted to put our book on a place where um, more people would discover it. And uh, if somebody, a little it, bit of a crazy situation. We sell a book on Amazon. It's our book. We decide how to price it, but then Amazon turned around and they changed the retail price. And so on any given day, our book price fluctuates. We don't have control over our own pricing, which was kind of strange when you think about the topic of the book in the first place. Right, very that's strange. That's a, a, small, a small example of what Amazon can do to brands. Re- recently, Amazon announced a new policy back in, in October where they're now layering in um, subsidies that they're putting on on products where they'll actually offer a lower price to consumers on inventory they don't even they don't even own. So they'll take a third-party seller's product and they may add a two or three dollar discount that they fund themselves just to make sure that the Amazon channel remains priced competitively to all other online channels. Wow. So yeah. Uh, so that's really fascinating. So if a, if a bookstore said, hey, uh, James, we really like your book, we'd like to carry it, would you sell it through them? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, not a problem. And and Amazon um, can't restrict you or punish you in any way for doing that, can they? Um, for for books is not an area where Amazon uh, is, is as aggressive in terms of trying to prevent people from selling elsewhere. Amazon certainly has programs where they – try to encourage, for example, Kickstarter and private equity-backed new companies to sell exclusively on Amazon. And if you happen to sign up for one of those programs, then you're limited in your ability to sell in other channels, online or off. But with books, um, it, it's not it's not as restrictive as that. Since you so, say with books, so what categories mm-hmm. are uh, best inclined or suited to be sold on Amazon? Which ones, which categories would you say, you know what, don't go there, don't go to Amazon? Um, so from a consumer's perspective, you can pretty much buy anything that's not regulated, uh, meaning products that can be shipped to every city in the United States. Uh, Amazon loves to have those products. They're not very good at dealing with oversized products like furniture. You know, companies like Wayfair are certainly stronger today, and Amazon's trying to find ways to pursue uh, entering that market in a much bigger way. Um, but if something is a consumer product that you know sells for, uh, you know, it's, it's under 50 pounds and it's not hazmat, you know, those are those kind of products are ideal for Amazon. And it doesn't really matter what the price point is because Amazon usually finds a way to make money selling the items. And, and quite frankly, even if they don't make money, but they find that enough Amazon customers are interested in buying the product, it's important for Amazon to keep that long-term relationship in place. So they're happy to lose money on products if it means retaining the customer and keeping that customer coming back 
to share more of its wallet on other types of product purchases. Interesting that they would do that. Uh, is so much of that which products dictated by basically the shipping issue that don't you know that large furniture or the hazmat uh, is, is difficult to do and so it really is uh, to deal with the delivery side yes a- amazon's not very good at freight to consumers that that's one area where they're just not very good at, at, at delivering today um, if something can go through ups fedex postal service and be done with just a normal truck uh, Amazon's probably got it figured out. And at that point, it becomes nothing more than just another widget that consumers buy. But with large, oversized products, whether too large by physical dimension or by weight, that, that starts to become very challenging for Amazon. And quite frankly, the shipping cost may become such a sizable portion of the purchase price that it's difficult for Amazon to make any money or even break even consistently on the product. Sure, that makes so, sense. Uh, let me remind our audience, you're listening to Measured Thoughts with Dave Reepstein on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. And we're currently speaking with James Thompson, who is the author of the recent book, The Amazon Marketplace Dilemma. And you can reach us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. James, in your book, one of the things that you talk about is the difference between selling on Amazon and selling to Amazon. What is that real distinction? There are probably 20, 25 different minutia-level details. Okay, what are the big uh, but, distinctions on those? <laughs> yeah, the, the big, big, difference, big differences are if, if you're a brand and you wholesale product to Amazon, that that's your typical B2B relationship where Amazon owns the inventory and then they make the decisions about how the product's going to get priced. Um, that, that's, you know, that's a model that most brands understand. If you're selling on Amazon as a brand, then that means that you, you're, you're selling as a third-party seller, and you're now responsible for handling the individual customer inquiries that you get. You're responsible for managing inventory, for managing pricing, all the types of issues that the retailer today handles for you in other channels. So the question is, do you want to be B2B or be B2C? It very much falls down to that, B2B or B2C. And there are lots of issues in there regarding how much inventory you want to hold. Do you want to deal with sales tax responsibilities? Do you want to deal with the customer inquiries? Amazon has extremely high performance metrics that they hold all third-party sellers to. And for a lot of companies, quite frankly, they're not interested in putting the operational excellence in place to be able to support being a third-party seller. And so they'd rather sell the product wholesale to somebody else will handle the individual customer orders. So, so if I'm selling I, I, uh, if I'm selling on Amazon, I get a higher yes. price, but I have a lot more of that responsibility for just handling the interface with the customer. Whereas if I'm yes. selling to Amazon, I'm selling it to them at a um, at a distributor price, and right. they, they mark it up, and but they handle all of the customer interface. So to reword what you said, do I want to make retail margins but have all the day-to-day responsibilities, or do I want to make wholesale margins and have Amazon take care of all the day-to-day operational aspects of the business? Much better put than than the way I said it. So what types of companies would you say it makes sense to be a seller to versus a seller on Amazon? 
I would start by saying for many brands that are extremely broadly distributed in brick and mortar channels, for example, if, if you sell health and beauty products and it goes in every drugstore, every grocery store across the country, you need to understand that any outlet that carries your product, that individual outlet could potentially be a doing business as online seller of your product. So it's much harder to control distribution when you have extremely broad brick and mortar distribution happening. If you're a brand that doesn't have extremely broad brick and mortar distribution, then I would certainly encourage you to look at the possibility of being a third party seller and selling your product yourself or hiring a company that will manage the day to day operations for you. But nonetheless, being the seller of record and being able to make the retail margins, being able to keep channel control in place, keep catalog optimization in place. Those are big, important issues that most brands, unfortunately, are not actually ready to support. Um, but you know, one of the phenomenon of the Amazon channel is, is the private label seller. These, these men and women that understand how to play the Amazon game, know how to build products, launch products, make them sell very well. There are literally thousands of multi-million dollar brands on Amazon they only exist on Amazon, and they're products that have grown up uh, on Amazon by way of these folks finding sourcing partners who will build products, put brand name on the product, put a UPC on the product. Amazon does the fulfillment because Amazon offers third-party sellers certain types of fulfillment services. Uh, but these brands have grown up, and, and they are primarily Amazon channel-only brands. If you're a nationally distributed brand, it's a lot harder to become a third-party seller, in part because you need to do a lot of work to control distribution, but you also need to figure out how do you how do you keep all the day-to-day minutiae of a third-party account? How do you manage that when your organization is typically not set up to support that? Right. Uh, fascinating stuff. Uh, people normally don't think about that. Certainly as a consumer buying on Amazon, they don't think about that. Um, I love how you've been able to explain it and how there really are these trade-offs, particularly around this selling to versus selling on, which really distinguishes whether or not you're going to be a retailer yourself or, uh, or, or be a wholesaler. So appreciate it very much. You know, I believe there's no better life than being an academic, and you had uh, all the credentials to do that, but somehow it seems like you found a really good life. So thank you very much for joining us. I, I appreciate it a lot. Uh, to our audience, please do stay with us. We need to take a short break. When we get back, I'll take your calls on anything marketing, branding, and metrics related in the last uh, segment of the program. If you want to join the conversation, please give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Or send us an email at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. This is Business Radio powered by the Wharton School on SiriusXM 111.